Hey everyone, it's Gabby and Danny and Manny and you're listening to Oye, Let's Talk. Hey everyone, welcome back. We have a special episode and a special guest with us today because we're discussing Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. To be fair, this month goes through a couple different names, but it's a cultural month basically celebrating Asian Americans and Desi people. And of course, we have the month because the United States is a melting pot. So we're highlighting this community. And to help us highlight these voices, I'm bringing on my best friend in the whole wide world, Miss Shiksu Ricardo. Shiksu, tell the people who you are. Hey, everybody. Welcome. My name is Shiksu Ricardo. I identify as Chinese Cuban, and my Chinese and Mandarin name is Shi Xiu. Shi stands for history, and Xiu stands for beauty throughout history. I love that. Oh, so beautiful. <laughs> I didn't know that, Shiksu. <laughs> Yes. is actually my family name from my mom's side and the shi and shi xiu is from them so technically like if you wanted to get specific you would call me just xiu but people just call me shiksu so that's fine by me <laughs> and actually when i first met shiksu which was in middle school everyone called her stephanie because that was i guess her american name so really? it's been a long time coming yes yeah, Steph. Um, I didn't know this. Steph, yeah, my whole family, my whole family still calls me Steph, and all my friends call me Shiksu. So when I go home, everyone calls me Steph. So, question: Did you did you like that, or did you ever feel like a sense of an identity crisis? I definitely think that when I was in elementary school, the teachers even had a hard time pronouncing my name that they would skip over it. So then I just came home one day and I told my mom, I was literally so fed up of people mispronouncing it. So she said, okay, well, your name starts with a letter S. So let's just go down a random list and think of other American names that start with the letter S. So we talked like, about Sonia, Sophia, and I didn't even like any of those. Sorry if you have that name. <laughs> and then we got to Stephanie, and I didn't really like Stephanie either, but we had just gone through so many names already that I just said, okay, fine, that, that's it. And then from there on out, it was Stephanie. But I think that I'm more comfortable with my family identifying me as such because they know me, they know my background, they know my history. But for other strangers or for just companions, I prefer Shiksu because we still have to break that barrier of companionship, whereas my family, they they know me, you know. Mm -hmm. That's a great perspective. And actually, you kind of touched upon the topic that I wanted to discuss next with you all. AAPI month, I feel like has really taken the helm now as the nation is going through this social and racial reckoning. But as Shiksu said, when she was younger, she used a different name. And I feel like it's because people didn't have that familiarity. When did you all hear about this cultural heritage month? Because I don't think I really knew of it until college. Definitely. I think growing up, Growing up in South Florida, you know, you always, there was Hispanic Heritage Month, which was obviously always celebrated. And obviously you remember Black History Month, but it wasn't until like Gabby said, and we all went to the same college. So it was the first time where Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month was really celebrated. And it was probably the first time ever being in a population of people where I saw that many Asians because in South Florida, I mean, Shiksu, you're one of the few, there's not a lot of Asians. And I remember we also went to the same high school and I think there was maybe five Asians in, in high, in our high school. It wasn't a lot of people. 
So I don't think maybe because our area didn't have a lot of uh, big Asian population, maybe that Heritage Month wasn't really celebrated in public schools. But it was interesting how we kind of went through our entire school years and it wasn't until college that we really saw this being celebrated. Shiksu, did you, I mean, we shared the same high school experience. That wasn't a thing in our high school. Did you, and when you went to college, were you like, why wasn't this thing a, a thing in high school? Or have you ever met any other people who that was your high school experience? I am also from South Florida, raised in Miami. So since we went to the same high school, you're right. There were only five Asians at most, maybe. And I only knew or talked with like two of them. So I really didn't think that there was a thing as AAPI month because there was such a dense Latino and Black population in Miami. But then when I got to college, I still very much identified with my Cuban side because it's just who I grew up around, how I was surrounded. But I got to college and then I saw that there was the Asian American Student Union on campus and they were the ones who put on huge shows, music festivals. And that's when me and Gabby really were like, oh wait, we have to start, you know, going to these other types of events and branching out and meeting other people. And I think that's really where I kind of became more attuned to my heritage. It wasn't until college really that I identified more as Chinese because growing up, I was just so immersed in Latinx culture. And I'll also say that because of my past trauma, I don't talk to my biological father who is Chinese because my stepfather who's Cuban raised me. I just was like, I'm not going to identify with that side at all. Like, I don't want to even like be Chinese. Like I'm, you know, Cuban and that's just what I am. And I got to college and I was like, no, be proud of who you are and like where your family's from. And there's so much more to enjoy, which I'm just getting to learn and explore now. It's crazy how much your environment really influences your persona right because and I think that's why a lot of people have such identity crisis and that's why I had uh, originally asked you that question because um, I have a lot of Indian friends who are from India from Pakistan um, Desi uh, individuals and a lot of them have American quote-unquote names they change their names because they realize that their you know actual names are too complicated or they're going to be made fun of in school Bullying has always been a prevalent issue since, I don't know, the history of time, I would assume. Um, I also didn't know API was a thing until college. I graduated from a class of 3,000 in high school. We were a pretty big high school. There were a significant amount of Asians, but I never really, I I wouldn't see them as an other, you know, like I wouldn't see them as, oh, it's they're the minority population necessarily. Obviously, I grew up in Miami, too, and there's a lot of Latino Hispanics. There were a lot of African-American individuals in my school as well. But it was never a thing where I would like think to myself, oh, there's only a significantly uh, less population of Asians. So I think that kind of proves the point. This episode is to have open conversation with someone as kind as Shiksu, who's going to give us a glimpse and to be honest, help educate because although it falls on your shoulders, sometimes you need a guide. And I'm very grateful that she's here to help us out right now. Because the foundation honestly wasn't there in our education, the exposure really does depend on what on how comfortable you are in approaching these communities. And we would be remiss if we didn't discuss the new social movement that is stemming from the Asian American community, Stop AAPI Hate. And a lot of this is coming about because of 
violence towards AAPI individuals, particularly during the coronavirus pandemic. And feel free anyone to jump in, but I would say that this is an important social movement that is really coming to light, mostly because there's been so much pain and violence toward a community. And I feel like that shouldn't be the way that we become more comfortable in identifying and recognizing people who have such rich culture. Mm-hmm. I just want to add a little caveat to what you said, um, Gabby. Even though this, we are seeing this new social movement, kind of like when we spoke about um, the Black Lives Matter movement and that kind of exploding last year, this isn't a new thing. You know, the Asian community has been dealing with hate ever since the end of the 1800s when they first started immigrating to the United States. And they've had a, our country has had a long history of doing certain things and portraying them in, in, in a way that has been very negative. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember um, reading in our history books when I was younger um, about indentured servitude. And that was the first time that that topic was discussed about Asian hate in America and how we had cartoon books for children and all Asians were painted like yellow, yellow faced and how that was a thing. I had never heard of that before until I was taught that in school. But it seems that from the beginning of our history, if you think about it, our relationship with uh, Asian countries has been sort of like, you know, they're, they're our servants, so to speak. They're some sort of slaves. They're not at the same um, level as Americans or as maybe even Europeans as well. But I did want to throw in a quick little fact from Pew Research. I know how much Gabby loves Pew Research. Um, so there's this article that came out recently in April, and it says that eight in 10 Asian Americans say violence against them in the U.S. is increasing and nearly half experience an incident tied to their racial or ethnic background since the pandemic began. Um, we all, well, Gabby, uh, Manny and I, we work in news. I'm sure Shiksu was aware, but on March 16, there was a fatal shooting of six Asian women and two other people in the Atlanta area. And Shiksu, I know you currently live in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, if you've heard about this and how, if it has impacted you. Yeah, for sure. I just want to preface anything that I say from here on out is this is my perspective. I am just one individual with multiple intersectionalities. So of course, I can't represent or speak to the entire Asian community or all of AAPI History Month. And I just want to acknowledge that, you know, I myself am still learning just as we all are. But on the hate crime, because that's what it is, on the hate crime that occurred in March I just recall waking up in the morning and looking at my phone to see what notifications I had. And the first thing that I saw was fatal shooting in Atlanta against Asian women on several media headlines at just first thing 630 in the morning. And that day I had to go and get my allergy shot at the doctor's office. So I thought to myself, well, I have to go into the city and I need to be out in public right now. Am I going to get shot? Am I going to be a victim where the headline is going to be CDC employee gets shot outside allergist office and so this crossed your uh, mind you woke up you mm -hmm. saw that and you were like maybe I'm gonna be attacked today I have definitely had that fear especially towards the last year 
when COVID really hit and when Trump was president and using derogatory terminology such as Kung Flu, such as Asian virus in his speech, particularly when he had to address the new disease and instead of removing ethnicity or removing the country from the topic, he very much rooted it in within the Asian community. And I remember I was going to deploy to New York City, and New York City had a very high incident rate of hate crimes against Asians, such as the elderly getting beaten down, people getting pushed down in sidewalks. And before I left, my mom just had a phone conversation with me, and she said, you need to be careful because I know you, you're going to want to go out and explore and get boba and go to Chinatown, but that is the specific area that all of these hate crimes are occurring in and you just need to watch your back. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, mom, okay, watch somebody come and try to throw hands at me. Okay, my Miami throw five Kylie is gonna come out. I'm gonna take off my earrings and we're gonna go right here. I dare someone. And that has been my mentality ever since. But even though I put on this, you know, bravado internally, I do feel that I do have to watch my back wherever I go. Being an, a woman, being an Asian woman, there is oftentimes that hypersexualization of Asian women particularly, and it's happened time and time again in college, time and time again just getting gasoline, which I'm sure other women can, of course, identify with needing to hurry up and get gas and get in the car. But in the last year, I will definitely say that it's definitely been a lot harder for the Asian community. And I just want to establish some credibility here. Like part of the reason why we brought on Shiksu is not only because we're familiar with her, but uh, with her intersectionalities, identifying both as Latina and Chinese, Asian American. And also because with her work with the CDC, which we won't dive into, she's had very much firsthand experiences and academic knowledge on all of this. So I would take her word highly. That's just only a recommendation we as journalists source very well. And I do want to touch upon, I know our listeners can't see Shiksu, but apart from her name, she also does appear Asian. Like you can't deny that she looks like a Chinese woman and you can't hide how you look when you go out in public. So I'm sorry that you went through that. I recall your mom even calling me once because she hadn't heard from you that time that you were deployed in New York. And she was concerned over Shiksu. And I'm just thinking, man, a Chinese mother worried about her Chinese daughter in a state where there is a huge Asian population. You would think that she'd be safer because people can identify with her. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'll also add on that the fight for justice and the fight for social equity is ongoing. So even though these incidences are peaking now, it doesn't mean just like Dani and Manny said that it hasn't happened before or that this issue hasn't been one that has been faced by the community as a standalone occurring thing. It's not like that whatsoever. And uh, I just wanted to highlight some of the points that I've written down in my notes here about the solidarity between Black Lives Matter and the Asian American community. I did go to a Stop AAPI Hate rally after the shooting on a Saturday. 
And I was really just surprised at the level of turnout there was with our Black allies, with our Hispanic Latinx allies. And it just really showed to me that as the Asian community that we are, we still need to step up and not only fight for justice within our community, but as well as within others. Because oftentimes, and I'm going to delve into the model minority standard here, which is that because we have these certain privileges, attributed to the model minority status that we've become comfortable. The community has become comfortable with the status that we've achieved and have therein fallen short in supporting our black brothers and sisters and Hispanic brothers and sisters and LGBTQIA brothers and sisters in their fight for justice. But that's definitely something that is ongoing and continuous and I think has awoken my community too because I don't think I saw very many Asian individuals at the Black Lives Matter protests that I went to last summer. And it was very disheartening to see, sure, you're going to show out and be here for your community. But when it's time to show out and be there for others, there is a lack of. And so moving forward, I think it's not only advocating for ourselves, but also advocating for others. I think, unfortunately, that that's the case for a lot of, if not all minority groups at one point in time or another, to be honest with you. I, I, I feel like that's the case from an outsider's perspective, looking in, especially being a part of the media and covering so many events. I feel like at one point or another, you feel that way as a minority. I do want to touch upon the model minority myth for our listeners who aren't familiar with this concept. It's basically a minority demographic whose members or those community members are perceived to achieve a higher degree of socioeconomic success than probably the average. So a lot of people believe this separation that Shiksu is describing is because Americans in general put the minority, in this case Asians, on a different pedestal. They're quieter, they're most cases wider, they're smarter, so they're okay. They're doing well. Whereas we know from history that Blacks were treated as slaves, as less than, always as lesser than even Asians in some cases. But it's because it's this idea that one is better than the other, but they're all still minorities. And if you want to look into it, I highly recommend looking into Harvard research papers because they're still working on trying to pinpoint the model minority myth beyond the Asian community. So that's a great resource to look into. But Chiksu also touched upon something else, solidarity, something that I think that we can never get enough of and that we always need to work on. I wanted to... Thanks, Shiksu, for being here with us and really appreciate you being honest with us and sharing your thoughts. Something I want to ask, and even when you were talking about this thing that happened in Atlanta and just how it personally affected you and your family, um, has there been another moment where you were directly discriminated against or you were in a situation where it was very hard for you to decompress or step away if you would mind sharing that with us. Yeah, definitely. Before we get into that, I kind of wanted to go back to the model minority myth a little bit and how its application isn't just for the Asian community. It stemmed back to when the Irish, the Polish, other white passing individuals came to the United States. And that model minority myth is very much stemming from roots of white supremacy, because uh, 
to be white or to be white-like means having that acceptance. And when you've achieved that acceptance, you can therein gain from it, but then also not provide back or oppress other people of color. And so right now, I'm thinking that there are many Asians who are benefiting from that privilege and they're in benefiting from white supremacy, but needing to continue that solidarity. So that's my first piece. And then the second piece on your question about was there a moment in time that I felt particularly discriminated against? And I will say that I've been very privileged that no one has out come to my face and said that you're a chink or you brought the kung flu here, particularly in the last two years. And I think it's in part because I work from home. I don't need to go out in the day to day unless it's for absolute necessities like buying groceries or getting gas. But I will speak to when I was a child and not being accepted within the Latinx community because of the way that I looked and therein having to adopt more Latin traits because I wasn't accepted fully for who I was. And so when I was a child, people would call me names. You can tell that in Asian societies, we have we don't have very distinct features. Our features are very much muted, particularly in the facial area. So kids would just be very mean and say, oh, you've got chink eyes. You've got a flat face. Why do you look X, Y, and Z way? And kids are just mean. But in hindsight, that is a form of discrimination and of just not understanding where other people are coming from and just the lack of education on their part or maybe even awareness. And so as a child, I definitely very much grew up hiding away the Chinese side, even though I look very much overtly Asian. And so that has definitely deeply impacted who I am today and having to go back to kind of eradicate some of those traumas and say, I am who I am and I'm going to accept it. Yes. I have a follow-up question on that, actually. So pandemic aside, because we know that obviously hate crimes have increased because of the pandemic and what you mentioned with Trump. Um, but do you think that if the pandemic had not been a thing, do you think that the hate crimes against Asian Americans would be increasing as well or do you think it's just sort of has it has it always been there um like plateaued in a way or like what what are your thoughts on that that's that's a yeah that's a great question i obviously can't speak to the exact statistics but uh, regardless of the pandemic i do believe in this concept of I don't like calling it microaggressions because discrimination is discrimination. It doesn't matter if it's on a micro level or a macro level, but these quote unquote microaggressions that happen in your day to day that are not overt acts of racism. So for instance, I said, no one's ever come up to me in the workplace and has been like, oh, you're a chink or, oh, your eyes are super pointy or, oh, why are you good at math? Da, 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 da. But Still, there's this underhanded level of oppression that you have to deal with within the Asian community. And I think in the last few minutes, I've talked or mentioned about the hypersexualization of Asian women. And that for me, I think has very much still been stagnant throughout and would have remained stagnant. And so for other microaggressions, and I hate using that term, but for other acts of discrimination that are less overt, 
they still would have very much continued even without the pandemic, but perhaps have just been less reported or less discussed or less highlighted in the media. Because if someone comes up to me and hits on me because I'm Asian or comments about the way that my hair is straight or how I look in that way, I'm not going to report that to a foundation or there's not going to be a social media highlight about, oh, another Asian's hypersexualized, you know? So it would have very much still occurred, maybe not in the capacity or the fortitude of what is currently happening or what has happened in the last year, but just in a lot more underhanded nuanced way. Yes, I think I'm going to have to agree with Shiksu there. I think the reason why there's so much awareness right now is because there's been so much physical violence. There's been the elderly unprovoked getting hurt, chemicals dropped on them. That's why. Punch. Yeah, so I don't want to get into all of the specific details, but that's why I believe this social movement has expanded beyond the AAPI community because people are actually getting hurt and I feel like others can resonate with that when violence is involved some people but seem to want to take a stance at that point which I don't think is very fair I do want to dive in right now I we've had Shiksu speaking to us for a few minutes but if you don't mind sharing maybe some more personal side to your story because you do have an interesting origin story is what I like to call them but you mentioned some intersectionalities like how did you weave between all of that and decide to come into your own as an Asian woman so I was originally born in Shanxi Xi'an which is super well known for the terracotta warriors and if you look at the map of China my grandma always calls it a rooster because my home city is the heart of the rooster So I, yeah, (laughs) I immigrated to Miami when I was four and my mom and my biological father, who is Chinese, they divorced. And so I was essentially raised by my Cuban dad and she married him and I literally know no other or have no other father. He is the one in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I always grew up you know, eating pork. We had Noche Buena. We always opened Christmas presents at midnight before Christmas Day. There was no such thing as waiting for Santa Claus. Santa Claus had been come. And it was very much a melting pot in my house because for lunch, we would have dumplings. And for dinner, we would have fungal misnet or more pork as per usual. So it was just the norm to grow up that way. And it wasn't until I got into college that I realized that people perceived me as Asian. But in my heart, I felt Cuban. And I always think that one of the moments that I realized that was when I was revealed with Gamma Eta, me, Gabby, and Dani's sorority, where I heard someone during the reveal show say something along the lines of, oh, they got an Asian girl. And I thought, oh, is that me? Y'all talking about me? Oh, okay. And so since then, it's very much just been a journey of having to merge both halves of myself and appreciate how I was raised, but also appreciate the country that I came from. You said in your heart, internally speaking, you feel more aligned with your Cuban American side. But do you think that that's because, you know, all these years, you've kind of oppressed your Asian side because of the possible bullying at school? Like, do you think that's where it stems from? 
Yeah, I definitely think that is so real. You've hit the nail right on the head because I kind of had to hide part of my identity to be accepted growing up. That was just the one that I was most comfortable with. And so now it's about accepting both sides, if that makes sense, and learning to appreciate that both cultures have a lot of richness in their food, richness in their history, richness in their own lives, journeys, stories. I think this is the perfect segue, Shiksu. I You bring both perspectives in. And I feel like our Hispan- our Latinx community has a very bad, how do I call it? Habit. Habit, yes. We have a v- horrible habit. I know where you're going. Of uh, calling everyone of Asian descent Chino. Chinito. And the way I like to compare it is the way that people see Hispanics or Latinos and they consider us all Mexicans. So imagine being, you know, Cuban and being called Mexican. So I, I like to draw that parallel of them ever talking to a family member, like, no, that's not right. Don't, they're not, they're not Chino. They're not from China. You know? Or maybe they are, but um, don't assume. Right. In Shikshu's case, she is Chinese. You know, she is Chinese American. She, the term applies, but did you ever, have you ever not necessarily face that, but maybe, from your dad's side, your stepdad's side of the family, or someone who said it unknowingly? All the time. And I didn't realize that it was such a problem until literally Danny said, Oh, and I want to talk about how everybody calls people who look Asian or are Asian passing, mm-hmm. even in the slightest. Like you could be Colombian and look a little Asian, and they'd be like, Oh, mm-hmm. mira la you know? And now that you guys mention it, yeah, all the time. Everybody, not necessarily my family, but definitely friends of the family that would first meet me. They'd be like, oh, my God, la cubanita, chinita, wow. Or the, and then from there on out, it would just be, oh, la chinita, la chinita, la chinita. And it never really bothered me per se because it was applicable. But I can see that for other individuals who are perhaps Korean or Filipina or Japanese, since it's not applicable to them, like, why are you calling them that? Why are you overtly umbrellaing us into this giant term that is not true so i kind of want to touch upon that too i know we've been using the term asian american and i just want to emphasize like kind of how we did with our latinx episode like that's just really a term that exists in america because in the entire continent of asia everyone identifies with their own personal ethnicity that being the country that they're in or they're from So Shiksu, like, I'm not Asian, I don't want to speak to this, but tell me if I'm wrong, but there's dozens of countries that fall under this umbrella term Asian, like, there are definitely so many different types of intersectionalities, ethnicities, and I don't like using the term race because, once again, very much white supremacist roots, but we're not here for that. So all of the various countries that fall under Asian American is absolutely crazy. It almost feels like, oh, we're just going to choose a month. We're going to put all these people into this month and... Uh, you're going to just like it because <laughs> that's America. And uh, how can you compare the Indian culture and way of life with that of someone who's from South Korea or North Korea or Japan or, I don't know, Laos? And there's no, there's no way to compare. So even API History Month, I can't speak to the origins because I honestly don't know how it was originated, but 
it just seems like once again a very much overarching umbrella to categorize people because that's just how oppression works the facts though she dropped the mic y'all did you feel that it's like so sassy but in all the right ways like it's (laughs) she speaks the truth people So funny enough that Shakespeare, you asked where it originated from. And just like you said, it's America and it originated out of Congress. <laughs> and originally back in 1977, actually two different lawmakers tried to pass legislation on and it didn't pass until the year afterwards. And at first it was just a week. And Jimmy Carter was president at the time who signed the resolution and it wasn't until 1992 that they actually made it into the entire month. And fun fact, um, why May was designated as AAPI Heritage Month was because May 7th, 1843 marks the immigration of the first Japanese to the United States. And May 10th of 1869 marks the anniversary of the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad where a majority of the workers who laid those tracks were Chinese immigrants. So that is circle. so problematic, but oh my gosh, <laughs> I can do a whole history episode on that. But if y'all just please look up Chinese Americans building American railroads, our system, just look it up, do your own deep dive. Cause it's not fun. It wasn't nice and it was not fair. I'm going to leave it at that. And then after that, look up Japanese internment camps. I remember that. That was part of my history lesson book. This is not okay. Now we need to really talk about the difference between celebrating all of these cultures versus appropriating. Yes. Saying, oh my gosh, I love Chinese food is not necessarily celebrating the Chinese culture. And FYI, you might not be eating actually authentic Chinese food. So that's a slap in the face. But Chicksu, please <laughs> tell our listeners the best way that we can all appreciate these cultures more and familiarize ourselves so we don't continue putting people under this one umbrella term and in a box. Sure. Before I do that, though, since we're talking about oppression of people, I wanted to take this time to highlight the Uyghur Muslim genocide that's happening in Xinjiang right now. And not a lot of people know about it. So I just wanted to plug it as go on Wikipedia, go on Google, look up the Uyghur genocide right now and read about it because we cannot eradicate issues that we do not understand or comprehend or know. And it also just goes to show that the Asian population, as we classify it, is just a very large group of individuals that are composed of many, many intersectionalities. But on to how to appreciate and not appropriate, I'll definitely say education is key. And it is honestly the easiest thing that you can do because you don't have to give your money. You don't have to Go bend backwards. You can literally just pick up your phone, look up history, look up famous Asian American activists. And one of the people that I'm also going to plug here is Yuri Kochiyama. And I'm saying her name super Hispanic because that's just who I am. And she's Japanese. So sorry, Yuri, rest in peace. (laughs) But the easiest thing that you can do is just pick up your phone, go on the computer and start with literally anywhere, anything that you're interested in, and there will be information on it for sure. 
And the second way, of course, is if you can do financially support organizations that are proudly supporting Asian Americans. And I don't have a list of those organizations right now. But once again, the internet is a great resource. All you have to do is go on there and everything will be hand fed to you. And the last piece is supporting Asian owned businesses, which is in a sense, still problematic because you're contributing to the capitalistic mindset, but uh, (laughs) it's still important because the money that you're giving to those for real Asian businesses is going to some kid's education or going to supporting that family business or going into the pockets of the people who labored and worked so hard to get to this country. And so essentially top three ways is give your money, educate or support Asian businesses in any way that you can, whether that is financially or even just highlighting them on your own social media. So I want to just break down some of those details really quick, because though they're broad, I've personally looked up more specific ways on what you can do. And for instance, like the internet, the internet is so vast. So consider following content creators that are Asian, that are either making up the TikTok dances or teaching them or educating people. It's really great, actually. Um, I'm on woke TikTok. I invite everyone to join. Or on Instagram, follow those specific creators or people who podcasters like ourselves or other individuals that just are creating content just to educate. Like so many people do it on their free time, just so others can be more aware. And I'll probably post some resources on our Instagram now too sharing some people I follow just so I can be educated. And going to the small business thing, I personally have spoken to a few small Asian American small business owners or Asian immigrant business owners, how they like to identify. And they say contributing to an actually Asian owned business is one of the best things you can do because they had to build it from the ground up. And a lot of them are family owned. So it's really not, it's a great gesture instead of going maybe to a large chain, like, Payway or Panda Express going to that small business is likely a family business and supporting them helps keep the future of their generation. It helps them build generational wealth in a country where they're still getting their footing. And on that, really looking into how you are highlighting the voices of the Asian community. And so I had a conversation with one of my friends about how I didn't want to post information that was created by white content creators. And that sounds really bad. And it's not that I don't support white content creators. It's just that there's so there are so many other creators out there that need their voices heard and escalated and their content escalated. And particularly because they align with the community, it's important to continue to escalate your community's voices and not that of someone who may not necessarily have the experience that you do or that your community has. And one of the individuals that I follow right now, their name is Kim Saida. And she is a content creator that I discovered, I don't even know how, but very much through the Stop API Hate movement. And her content is amazing. I love looking at her artistic creations. And it's just those little details that if you just took the extra time or the extra step to make sure that those creators are of Asian descent or of the voices that you're trying to escalate, that can make all the difference. 
Note that we're not necessarily talking about Asian models and Asian necessarily influencers or a quick El Google search for articles that are on The Onion, for example. Like, make sure that when you do your research, it's from a reliable source. I can't emphasize that enough. As journalists, we always touch upon this subject about when you do your research, please make sure that it's from a credible source. But like if you want to follow an Asian influencer, like that's on you too. There's like women in that beauty movement as well. I highly recommend, but just don't let that be the only thing on your feed. And I just want to emphasize that one follow button will keep something in your feed forever. So let the algorithm do the work for you. True. I'm also going to share with you all some of the pages that I follow on Instagram because Instagram is my main jam that I share information on and uh, I have a friend her name is Doha and she is the founder of Muslim Women 4 and in discussing uh, the Uyghur Muslim genocide that's happening in Xinjiang right now I just wanted to plug her organization does very much lots of grassroots work in the south East and through them have also plugged me with Sid Yang. They are a therapist that's over on the West Coast and they are amazing. And I just really think that these voices need to be highlighted. I totally follow Doha's account. Me too. And I was not aware that she was the one behind it. So that yeah. makes it even cooler. That again, y'all, the algorithm, it works. If you're fr- if you follow these people, then it'll be put in front of your friends and it'll be amazing. I have a quick question. Okay, okay. What would you tell your younger self if you could go back? Or, you know, if in the future you have kids or your nieces and nephews, is there any advice having gone through your personal experience? Don't let anybody tell you who you are. You lead the way of your life and you make the choices that develop and create who you are as a person and so I definitely think that I would look myself in the eye and be like you're a boss ass bitch let everybody know okay let everybody know and uh, kind of be that guiding light for myself (laughs) as little shiksu and you did you did I think I can attest to that you are a badass you've shown you've you've the light in you has been shown throughout college and even now I think you're excelling and you're such a strong and beautiful woman and anyone who meets you who has a grace to meet you can attest to that yes so can I before her best friend jumps in yes I can vouch for that I just wanted to emphasize that boss ass bitchdom knows no gender, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. You can be a boss ass bitch upon a decision, and Shiksu made that decision, and that's why she is thriving. So, listeners, you can be one too. You can decide right now. <laughs> Any other last words? <laughs> I just really wanted to preach, no matter what month it is, to learn and engage throughout the span of time, even if it's in social media or out of social media. Learning is a continuous spectrum and solidarity is continuous work. And with that, this is Oye Woman Lai Shuo or Let's Talk. <laughs>